You are listening to the sermon podcast for Salem Presbyterian Church in Winston-Salem. Thanks for listening. To learn more about our church, visit salempresws.org. That's salempresws.org. We believe preaching is best when experienced as part of the larger drama of God's people gathering. Something spiritually unique happens when God's people are together. We meet each Sunday to let the liturgy shape us, to hear preaching, and to take the Lord's Supper. And these acts are more robust when done together. Join us Sunday evenings at 5 p.m. in downtown Winston-Salem at 600 Holly Avenue. Again, that's Mark 14, 10 through 26, and it would stand if you are able for the reading of God's Word. Then Judas Iscariot, who was one of the twelve, went to the chief priests in order to betray him to them. And when they heard it, they were glad and promised to give him money. And he sought an opportunity to betray him. And on the first day of unleavened bread, when they sacrificed the Passover lamb, his disciples said to him, Where will you have us go and prepare for you to eat Passover? And he sent two of his disciples and said to them, Go into the city, and a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him, and wherever he enters, say to the master of the house. The teacher says, Where is my guest room, where I may eat Passover with my disciples? And he will show you a large upper room furnished and ready. There prepare for us. And the disciples set out and went to the city and found it just as he had told them. And they prepared the Passover. And when it was evening, he came with the twelve. As they were reclining at a table and eating, Jesus said, Truly I say to you, one of you will betray me, one who is eating with me. They began to be sorrowful and to say to him one after another, Is it I? He said to them, It is one of the twelve, one who is dipping bread into the dish with me. For the Son of Man goes as it is written of him, but woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better for that man if he had not been born. And they were, and as they were eating, he took bread, and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to them and said, Take, this is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank of it. And he said to them, This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. Truly I say to you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. This is the word of God for the people of God. Okay, let's, uh, let's, let's assume that one day, let's um, imagine one day Caroline Filson becomes a billionaire and she commissions a Jesus movie and she gets to choose her director. So she comes to Christopher Nolan and says, will you make a Jesus movie? 
And he's like, no way. And she's like, well, I have a billion dollars. He's like, okay. So um, he makes a movie backwards. So he does the, the life of Jesus backwards. Um, and he starts with the, the resurrection. Uh, and then he moves back and the next, you know, the first scene is this resurrection of these women fleeing from the tomb. And then the second scene is you see this man on the cross. And, you know, if you haven't, if you don't know anything about Christianity, you're like wondering what is going to happen next? Like, I can't believe we went from this resurrection scene to then the crucifixion scene and what's going to be next. And the next scene I would like to imagine him making would be the Lord's Supper, where Jesus, uh, right before he goes to the cross, he does this amazing thing. And um, we're just going to keep doing this week by week throughout the spring, the winter and spring. We're going to keep going backwards one week uh, after next, going backwards into the story. And that way, hopefully, it will help you to see the Jesus story from another point of view. Uh, it always helps. Like, if you've seen the movie Memento, it helps to, to kind of to view a story, like, a little differently when you go backwards. So this week, we're looking at this, this the Lord's Supper. It's an amazing event of the Lord's Supper. Um, my favorite team is the San Antonio Spurs because Tim Duncan played on the Spurs from Wake Forest. And their coach is the legendary Greg Popovich. I think he's the greatest coach of all time. What people don't realize about Greg Popovich that he did, it was so ingenious, was he would spend about a million dollars a year on, on uh, food. And when the, the team would go out to uh, other cities, he would find the, the best restaurant in town. And he would call the sommelier at that re- restaurant and say, I want the best, I want like 10 of the best bottles of wine that you have. And he would have the team have these like three-hour meals where um, they just talked for hours and hours. And he would go from table to table with all the guys on the team. And they would sit in different tables, different nights. And apparently this is what really bound the teams together. Uh, if you watch the Spurs, you know what they had was great chemistry, great team chemistry, great passing, unselfish play. And, and he spent all this money to bond uh, his people together. And I believe he was getting the idea from God, from the inbuilt nature of the human heart which loves to have meals together and so it's is it any wonder that at this at the worship service of god we have a meal at the end it's kind of a pretend in a way it's a preview of things to come but this is a representation of what one day will be this amazing banquet Um, but until then what makes this meal so unique uh, is the very first thing that i say when we take the meal and if you've been here for any amount of time at all you know what i'm going to say the very first thing that i say is on the night that he was betrayed, our Lord Jesus took bread. And I don't say that because I made that up. Uh, I I did not make that up. That is coming from uh, the Apostle Paul, who wrote that to the Corinthians. Um, It's a a command that um, Paul says, "When, when what I received from the Lord, I passed on to you, Corinthians. So it was like Jesus taught Peter, Peter met Paul. Peter taught Paul, this is what you need to do when you get your churches together. And then Paul passed it on the Corinthian church, which he planted, which was like hundreds of miles away from Jerusalem in the Mediterranean. Uh, and Paul's like, what he told me to do, what Peter told me that he got from Jesus was, when we get together, you've got to have this meal, got to do that. And then when you do that, the first thing you've got to do is you've got to say, on the night that he was betrayed, this happened. Uh, and that tradition comes from the story we're looking at tonight. The story of the betrayal at the meal. So I want to look at the betrayal of the meal. But then I also want to look at the intimacy that a meal brings. The unity, the bonding, the oneness. So first of all, the betrayal. uh, Verse 10. Then Judas Iscariot, who was one of the twelve, went to the chief priests in order to betray them. 
Um, again, this is a very important detail. It was so important. It's in every single gospel. Uh, the betrayal of Judas is critical to the story. If you've seen the, um, the, the Chosen, the new uh, miniseries about the life of Jesus, the very last episode of the last one, you realize who Judas is. And he's this really cool guy that you really like at first. Uh, but you can kind of see the seeds of his betrayal even at the very beginning of his character. And uh, he is a fascinating character. It's hard to even know why he did this. Some say it was for money. It was definitely partly for money. One of the Gospels says it was for money. But others say because he felt um, that Jesus had betrayed him. Because he thought Jesus would be this great conquering military Messiah. And it turns out he was not doing that. He was doing the opposite. He was going to a cross. And Judas couldn't stand it, gave up, turned him in. But anyway, it's Judas Iscariot, one of the twelve. He was one of the disciples one of the ones at the very center of the heart of Jesus' community. And it says in verse 10 that he went to the chief priests, who were the ones that were most trying to get rid of Jesus. They wanted him gone. Judas goes to them. He says, I know how you can get him. Um, meet me at this certain place at a certain time, and I will kiss the one. And the one that I kiss, that's the one you want to get. And so on the night he was betrayed, 1 Corinthians 11. 1 Corinthians eleven twenty three. I received from the Lord... But I passed on to you that on the night he was betrayed. Very, very important that we say that. But it wasn't just on the night that Judas betrayed him. And this is another very important detail. Um, it says in verse 18 uh, that Jesus said, one of you will betray me. I mean, imagine that moment in the meal. That's like a joy killer right there. In the meal, they're all having a good time. They're laughing. They're talking wine and bread and the lamb and and then Jesus stops and is like, okay, one of you is going to betray me. And, um, and they all began to say to him, verse 19, one after another, is it I? That's something that always strikes me as humorous. If, if it weren't so tragic, it would be humorous. That Every single one of them had thought, oh, is it I'm, it was what I did? Was it what I said? Is it, it's a, I, I, it must be something that I've already felt about him or have said about him or going to say or think or do about him. There's something in each one of them. They knew that there's something in each one of them that could have betrayed him or might have already betrayed him or said something to someone that would end up betraying him. But they all say to one another, is it I? And so I think we should ask ourselves, is it I? I mean, in some sense, that would apply to us, wouldn't it? I mean, do you think that if you had been there, you would have said, well, I know I didn't do it. You know, I, I, I feel really good about myself and I know that I wouldn't betray him or I haven't betrayed him or I never would betray him. I mean, one way to ask this question is, do you think that the first words of our liturgy when we take the Lord's Supper really applies to you? And that might be a good criteria for you to decide whether you want to take it or not. Is if, if you don't think that applies to you in any way, then it's probably not a healthy thing to partake of the meal because what the liturgy says when we act this drama out, we say, uh, on the night he was betrayed, we are part of that story, that we betrayed him. Um, there's got to be some sense that you have about yourself that there's a traitor living in you. I mean, imagine you got a text from a friend, and, uh, and it says, um, I heard what you said about me, and we need to talk. I heard about what you said about me, and we need to talk. And you're so kind of rocked by that. I mean, if I saw that, I would be immediately just, my heart would fall. I'd feel kind of sick. 
a wee, you know, kind of that hot wave passes through me. And you don't even like look at who it's from because you're so sickened by it kind of immediately. And then you think, uh, do I want to know who that's from? Do I really want to check and see who that's from? And then maybe you think, well, it could be from almost anyone because there's so many people I've probably said something about that might have found out what I said about them. And now they found out and they're going to address me. Um, I, you know, I have said things about people, many people that I love, deep friends, family members, that if they were to find out what I said about them, they would feel betrayed. I mean, just think about the people right now and picture in your mind, who are the people that you have said something about? Maybe recently, maybe before that, could be a coworker, a friend, a family, and there's been betrayal there. And um, betrayal is one of the worst feelings in the world. It's one of the most painful experiences in life. If you've ever been cheated on, uh, you know the, the depths of the pain of betrayal. There's nothing quite like betrayal. And I had a, a very close friend betray me recently. And it was so painful that I could not spend any time at all with this friend. I couldn't really see them. I couldn't text with them or call them. I didn't want to be anywhere near them for a long, many, many months. And um, because it really, they really did betray me. It was pretty significant. I wouldn't say I've ever had that happen until that moment. And this was a friend. And so um, over the months, every time we did the Lord's Supper, I would think to myself, on the night he was betrayed, on the night he was betrayed, on the night he was betrayed. And I realized that, that applies to me. That applies to this situation with my friend. Like if I'm going to keep going through this liturgy and saying that I was part of that betrayal, then surely I could forgive this person. Or I could at least start to try to forgive this person. Or I could imagine myself as at least, to some extent, as bad as that person. And what they did to me, I could do to them. And so finally we got together and uh, we talked. And I told them, I said, I felt very betrayed. And they said, well, I, I can understand how you would feel that way. I don't think I would do anything different, but I can understand how you feel that way. And that didn't really help a whole lot when somebody says that. I wouldn't suggest you say that. Um, but that's what they said. And so, you know, it didn't really solve the problem exactly. But still, every single time, tonight we're going to do this again, I'm going to have to just say to myself, I was part of the betrayal. I'm part of the betrayal of God Almighty. And so I have to forgive people who betray me. And Paul says to the Corinthians, I'm pretty sure you're all traitors too. So you better start by saying on the night that he was betrayed. That's the first point. Now, the second point is that in the middle of that betrayal, Right at the heart of the betrayal, there's all this intimacy that he's creating. And it's like this polarity between deep intimacy and then intense betrayal. And he knows it. He knows that the betrayal is happening, and yet he still keeps pushing for more intimacy, almost to the breaking point. He's pushing for intimacy. It says in verse 14 that he, uh, he rented a large upper room, furnished and ready. Now, think about what that implies. Okay, it's a large upper room on Passover night in the heart of Jerusalem. Second story room, prime real, real estate. Uh, he probably paid a fortune for that room, or he knew a very rich person that had that room. But when it says it was ready, that means that this is a Passover meal. There was a beautiful table set, probably an ornate tablecloth. There were certainly multiple goblets of wine, because that was part of the Passover celebration. You know, there were oil lamps, uh, there was warm pita bread that, that was, you know, brand new, freshly made. There were these, these herbs that you would have to buy. So I don't know how he, you know, it'd be like a wedding planner with a huge notepad. And he was just telling these people, you do this and then you do this. And the disciples didn't know anything about it because they just came in 
And they, he, he was like, there's going to be a guy with a, a jug of water on his head. You want to follow that guy. Wherever he goes, you go into that room. It was all very secret because Jesus knew that if they found out where he was doing this, they would arrest him and kill him. So huge amount of planning behind this. This is a, this is a big deal. Uh, verse 14 says it was a guest room. A guest room. And he said, I want to go and eat my Passover with my disciples there. Uh, he eagerly, eagerly longed to eat this meal. That's what Luke Twenty-two fifteen says, I have been very eager to meet, to eat this Passover with you all. I mean, this meant a lot to him. This was kind of the, maybe like the buildup of his whole ministry. This was like a Greg Popovich meal times a thousand. This was the center of his vision for what he was going to do with these people. I'm going to have this meal with them. I have been very eager to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. Before I suffer, I want to eat this meal with you. So there, if you've ever been to a Seder, have you been to a Jewish Seder? They have, um, this liturgy, so you, you eat, you eat things, and then you drink a cup of wine, and then you do a liturgy, so you read these things, and you're acting out the Exodus story. And you drink another, uh, another goblet of wine, and then you read uh, some more, and then you eat herbs and bitter herbs with bread, and you dip the bread, and you drink another cup of wine, and then you do more liturgy, and then finally the lamb, and then the bread. So it's a, this Seder meal is an acting out of the Passover meal. It's like they're reliving, they're recounting the decisive moment of Israel's redemption. If you were a Jewish person and somebody asked you, what is the gospel? What is the good news for you? The answer would be very easy. It's the Exodus story. It's the redemption from Israel. And so this is the decisive moment of Israel's history. And the, the disciples feel like they're actually literally reliving this with Jesus. They're, as every Jewish household did, they were reliving the Passover story. The story of the night that God broke them out of Egypt, liberated them from Pharaoh, from the empire. Uh, that's what this is celebrating. And so in the middle of this, they're going through the liturgy, they're going through the courses, and all of a sudden, this shocking thing happens where Jesus grows very still, uh, and he begins to gaze at each disciple individually, one by one, and I can imagine his face kind of growing red. I mean, there had to be emotion. And then he suddenly holds up this piece of bread, uh, which is the bread of suffering for the Jews. Uh, The bread they had to bake the very night that they left. They had to bake it quickly, so it had to be unleavened. And he holds up this piece of bread and he said, verse 22, he said, this is actually my body. This is not the lamb. This is not that bread of suffering. This is my body. This this has always been about my body. And you can imagine there there was like a gasp. Like, what is he talking about? This is, he's hijacking the most holy ceremony of the the whole Jewish calendar. He's, He's saying that's about me. And then he says, And this is my blood, as he holds up the cup. Uh, This is not the blood of the lamb. Verse 24, this is my blood. And we we need to all drink this together. And I can imagine it was with some trepidation that they actually partook of these things. But what he's saying is uh, all of the Exodus story, all of the deliverance from Israel, the plagues, the parting of the Red Sea, the destruction of the empire, Pharaoh's army, all of that was like a... It was like a little preview it was like, or an appetizer for the real thing. It was always about me. I am the real exodus. I am the one who destroys the empire. I am the one who liberates you from darkness, from the domain of darkness. I bring you into the promised land. I am the lamb. I am the bread of affliction. All of that, everything about salvation was always about me. And, and, and if in, in your intimacy with me, in this meal, in this union with me, is where you find salvation. And that's what we're celebrating here. 
is that, that acting out of the deep intimacy of that meal. I mean, where do you, where do you create more intimacy than a meal? I, I can't think of anything. If, you're gonna, if it's your anniversary, what do you do? Usually people will go out for a meal. Um, and we went to Ryan's, which is this wonderful restaurant. And we sat um, in these beautiful seats. It's like being in a treehouse, like in a forest. Amazing food. Talked over candlelight. Uh, you feel like it's just you and, and them. Um, you kind of get lost in each other almost. You know, if, you, you, if you've been in a situation where you're in a meal and you just kind of get lost in the moment, it's almost like you all feel a sense of oneness. I mean, Jesus is binding his people together. Again, on the holiest night of the year. And he's, he's binding them so closely that it actually it passes over into mystery. And this is where it gets really weird. And I'll have to say this is a very weird thing. Um, this is as weird as Catholics say it is. You know, we sometimes as Protestants critique Catholics for saying, well, this is actually literally the body and literally the blood. Like it actually turns into his body and blood. And I don't believe that's true. But, but what they say about the way that it makes you one with the Son of God, that's true. They are right about that. And anyone who says it's just a symbol is wrong. It's not just a symbol. He is actually here, and we are partaking of his body and his blood. So this literally makes you one with him. Like, it literally binds you to him. And we're not just remembering Christ at this table. He's actually injecting uh, mental health and spiritual health into our mind, like with a syringe. He's actually putting it into us. And I'm not saying you're going to immediately feel that. But some drugs you get, they don't immediately take effect. And it is putting something into you. It's actually feeding on the body and the blood of Christ. In Revelation 3.20, to the church of Laodicea, who's very lukewarm, who's betraying God by their lukewarmness, their lack of concern about him, they don't really care about him. Uh, Jesus says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and I will eat with him. And he with me. I will eat with him. And what, what he's talking about is the Lord's Supper. He's telling the church of Laodicea. That's not a story. That's not a conversion passage. And that's not an accepting Christ as your Savior passage. That's a passage about communion with the church of Laodicea. Who already believe in him but are now lukewarm. They betrayed him. And now he's coming to them and saying, look, I'm standing there knocking. I want to come in and eat with you. I want to restore our intimacy in this meal through the middle of the betrayal. And the betrayal just makes the bond all the more intimate. The betrayal actually strengthens the bond. So imagine you're dating, you're dating someone, dating a guy, and this guy's a great guy. He treats you really well. And you get drunk at a party one night, and you cheat on him. You didn't really intentionally do it, but you did it. It was your fault. And you just feel horrible the next day. You're hungover. Uh, you don't know what to do. You don't know whether to tell him or not. And then you get this text, and he's like, let's go to dinner tonight. And then you're kind of dreading it. You're nervous. And then all of a sudden he texts you. He's like, let's go to Ryan's. I've got a reservation for us at Ryan's. So you go to Ryan's and you're a little bit unnerved by that. You're like, well, he must not know. We're going to Ryan's. And then you get there and there's like a really nice handwritten envelope with your name on it on your place. So he's thought about this and there's a flower there. And you're like, oh my gosh, he must not know. He, He thinks, you know, this is like this really beautiful romantic moment. So you open up the note. And it's like, he says, I know what you did, and I still love you, and let's not talk about it. Let's just have, let's just have a good time tonight. And it's that shocking. 
that, that, that Jesus would come to us at that moment and say, like, forget about, forget about the betrayal. I know you did that. I know it's terrible, but I love you. And I want you even closer. I'm not moving away from you. I'm, I'm drawing you closer to me as you betray me. And you can't get more intimacy than that. You know, we, we, we want to run from him. And he grabs us and he says, no, I've got a better idea. Let's eat together. Let's eat together. This actually happens to Peter. When Peter betrays him by denying him three times after the Lord's Supper, this is the next day, and Peter has denied him three times. He denies knowing him because he's embarrassed of Jesus in public. So he says, I don't know him three times. Next time he's with Jesus, Jesus um, says, you know, come and eat with me. Let's have a meal. Come have breakfast, John 21, 12. That's the next thing. And then he, and then he tells Peter three times, I love you, I love you, I love you. To undo all three of those betrayals. Jesus is so eager to drink this and eat this with us that he says in verse 25, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until I drink it with you all in the kingdom of God. That's us too. All of us. All of his brothers and sisters. In the kingdom of God. So I always like to say when we take this meal, I don't always say it, but I sometimes say it. And I say... This is the moment in the week where you are closest to Christ. There is no other thing you can do this week. I don't care what kind of um, mountaintop experience you had. You, maybe you hiked Pilot Mountain by yourself and you had this overwhelming experience of the presence of Christ. You know, I've had that kind of thing happen. I've had just these amazing ecstatic experiences with Christ. But I say this, because we're together and because Christianity is a communal religion, this is the place every, every week where you're the most one. Your union with Christ is most felt here at this moment. And people sometimes say to me, well, I thought I was always completely and 100% one with Christ at all times. And I say, that's true. And a husband and wife are always married, but they're not always one. They're not always one flesh. And, you know, that might be kind of uncomfortable, that what I'm saying there, if you get the implications of what I'm saying there. But this is the moment of greatest physical intimacy with Christ because it is the moment of the greatest betrayal of Christ. And so um, on the night that Remember, we love these rascals.